0: If we love the Lord, we want to look like the Lord, we want to be with the Lord, we want to imitate Him, we want to obey Him. And the word holiness sounds like a dirty word, sounds like a heavy word, a power play, a religious word. But I think uh, in the end it's about being like Him so we can be closer to Him. Well, hello and
1: welcome to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's Jason here. And I know this is coming a little bit late, but happy Canada Day to everyone listening. It is such an honor to host this conversation about the Canadian church. I love Canada. Canada's not perfect, far from it, not just in our past, but even our present. A lot of brokenness and pain, but so much beauty and hope. And I'm so thankful that God has scattered churches and church leaders like yourself all across this nation. And I'm full of hope about the future Of the church in canada and what that means for the communities we're leading and i was thinking about everyone listening today and how we're entering into these summer months and i know that for me as a pastor this is a season where i intentionally set apart a little bit of rest not that everything slows down but there's a little bit of margin unless you're a kids pastor then you're full on doing kids camp and youth pastors doing youth camp But for others, perhaps maybe this is the season where you've set apart some time for rest. And for me, I've often had good intentions, but not always good follow through. And so I just wanna let you know that we're praying for you. As you set apart time to pray, I pray that you'd be well rested, body, soul, and mind. Pray that you'd be drawn deeper into God's love and that we would find ourselves as a community coming back in September, strengthened, refreshed, and ready for the season ahead. On today's episode of the podcast, we have Simon be with us. He's the pastor of theology at St. Aldate's in Oxford, UK. And we met him on our recent trip to visit the staff and team at Oxford in the UK with the church leaders incubator. And I was stunned by him. One of the most humble, thoughtful, engaging people I've ever met. And just someone who's God's hands on his life. He has a wonder and a passion for Jesus that's contagious and compelling. He's a fourth generation preacher, came to faith later in his life. We'll hear about all that in this conversation. He's a writer, he's written some amazing books and what he does uniquely is makes profound theology and doctrine accessible for everyone. I know you're gonna love this conversation. I enjoyed it so much and I can't wait for you to hear it. But before we jump in, two quick notes. First, if you're listening, and you are a Canadian youth pastor, or you're on staff with a youth pastor, you need to let them know that we're partnering up with youth worker community to host our very first youth pastors gathering called the Youth Pastor Summit in Vancouver. It's sort of like a conference, but it's a bit different. We're keeping it really small. It's capped at 120 pastors from across Canada. And I think as I'm recording this, there's only like 10 more spots available. We're doing it October three to five in the city of Vancouver. And while we're going to have great sessions and worship and prayer, we want to rekindle that passion of why we got into ministry in the first place. We're also going to do a ton of workshopping around tables. Let's face it. There are questions that youth pastors across Canada are wrestling with, and there's no book coming out in the next six months that's going to provide all the answers. So we need to look to one another to have some robust conversation. We're going to bring in some thought leaders, and we're going to circle around tables and have some important conversations about how we can serve youth, lead them to Jesus, help them follow him in this time and place. It's going to be amazing time. And so if you're a youth pastor or you know a youth pastor, let them know about this first Canadian Youth Pastor Summit. We'd love to have you. You can apply now or put your name on the wait list if it's sold out when you get there at youthpastorsummit.ca, youthpastorsummit.ca. And lastly, one final note before we jump into today's interview, our friends at Compassion Canada have been so generous in their support of this podcast. And the reason why is because they believe in the local church and they believe in supporting pastors like yourself. The whole foundation of Compassion is to work with churches, to serve churches around the world, to serve the least of these and Compassion is fully committed to seeing how they can partner with pastors like you and support you in your goals. And so at the end of today's episode, we have a short conversation between Mike Pininga, a member of the Compassion team, and a church that they've been partnering with for years and been seeing beautiful impact together. And so we wanted to give a picture of the work they do with Canadian churches. So stay tuned for that conversation after we hear from today's guest. Okay. With all that said, let's jump in to this meaningful conversation with Simon Ponsonby. Well, Simon, it is pretty special to be with you. For those that don't know you, give us a little window into your life and ministry.
0: Sure. Well, thanks, uh, Jason. And it was a pleasure to meet you. Privileged to hang out with your uh, team last week. And thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Um, I'm Simon, married to Tiffany. Uh, We've been married 33 years. We've got two grown-up lads. And uh, I'm currently a minister. I say currently, I've been a minister for 23 years Mm -hmm. in Oxford. For seven of those, I was a university chaplain. I was the official evangelical chaplain and uh, had seven fantastic years um, from 98 to 2005, running a, a ministry for the students. And then for the last 16 years, I've been associate pastor and uh, teaching pastor based at St. Aldate's mm. and uh, encouraged to run the teaching programs, theological programs, and um, released to travel and teach as and when.
1: Mm. You're such a gift, man. And I loved you just to give us a window into St. Aldate's because just this church itself is like a portal into a story that spans hundreds of years. And so tell us about St. Aldate's, that church that you're part of.
0: Yeah, well, I feel really, really privileged to be there. And um, there's been a wonderful heritage, wonderful history with God, uh, doing some wonderful things there. Um, We took up the floor about 20 years ago and um, to put in some new heating, underfloor heating. And we found archeological evidence um, of a Saxon church, hmm. with all the people buried around it, and uh, we carbon dated the the bodies to about 950. So there, in oh. our main our main uh, worship center in the center of the a Saxon church, and then there was a Norman church, and then there was a medieval church, and so our church is built um, probably 18th century, but on the foundations of these other worshiping communities that have probably been there for upwards of 1100 years. And, uh, that feels really awesome. You know, we, we had to reinter and and have a service of blessing for all the bodies that were buried underneath us. But we, we kind of feel that we're drawing on, on, you know, their faith, their prayers, their tears, their faithful witness over the centuries. And, um, St. Dates has been a, 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 well, I suppose a leading evangelical church for about 150 years. Um, you may have heard of the Keswick movement. Have you heard of Keswick? No, tell Which, me about you know, it. It's a, 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 It's been going for over 100 years in, uh, in in north of England, but it was one of the sparks for um, the Korean revival and Welsh revival and things like that. But the very hmm. first meeting was hosted by the Vicar of St. Aldaes. And uh, the next year they said, let's meet in Keswick. And um, and we've had some remarkable leaders there, uh, evangelists. Michael Green, who was a a very well-known evangelist. He was the vicar, the senior pastor for many years. Then after him, uh, he once told me that the Alpha Course began in his front room in Mm. St. Aldaes Vicarage. And uh, over the years, we've had some extraordinary Vickers uh, uh, right up to the present day, Stephen Foster, who formerly was the international director of Alpha, and it's a it's a wonderful church. I'm so blessed to be there. You know, I have to pinch myself, but mm. um, uh, it's evangelical. It's a charismatic. It's word and spirit. Um, we you know mission focused, and we love the poor, mm. and we just want to be a place that rolls out the red carpet for Jesus and rolls out the red carpet for those who've not come to church.
1: Hmm. It was really impactful for me to be there and think about a thousand years of history because in the Canadian context, we're young. The church, churches we go to, the buildings are young. The denominations are young. And I just wonder, Simon, for you, what it does for your sense of faith, but even vocation, like being part of a heritage of faith in Christian ministers that goes back generations. How does that form yeah. the way in which you carry the calling even today?
0: Yeah, that's a good question uh, that I've not thought about. Um, I was in a context uh, a while ago uh, where the, the leader of the, the network was saying, we don't want to hear from preachers any stories that aren't that are more than a year old. Mm-hmm. And I completely understood why they wanted uh, illustrations that were fresh and of fresh experiences, and that you know, if you can say, "Yesterday, God said to me," there's an immediate kind of "oh, interesting." But uh, I think being part of a church that's a thousand years old, literally on the site, um, and part of a, a, a denomination, if you like, that's five hundred years old, and there's a sense of um, of being part of that that uh, great cloud of witnesses that it becomes very close and real and um a sense of history and uh, a, a wanting to honor that and a sense of you know the long long road of obedience in the same direction and faithfulness to that and and uh, having received a, a baton and wanting to to pass that on Um, And being part of that continuum, Mm. it's not just a sort of jump from here now, church life, back to the New Testament. It it, it sort of underlines God's faithfulness through the years and, you know, in season and out, that the gospel's gone out. And um, Mm. Yeah, so I I feel part of that. It connects me not just to the, the, the God story of scripture, but the God story of him building his church in the gates of hell, not prevailing against it.
1: I remember as we were walking through Oxford, you, were, you gave us an impromptu tour of sorts. And you're a great tour guide. <laughs> you, should, you should host tours. Um, from I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to get Canadians now reaching out saying, I'm coming to Oxford, can you show me? <laughs> and we stopped, and I thought it was per- peculiar at the time, we stopped in the middle of the road. And I thought, well, this is not a great place to stop. But you pointed to a spot on the ground and uh, you spoke about martyrs about 500 years ago that burned at the stake there. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Because that was a profound moment for me as we were standing there.
0: I I mean, these things really impact me. And uh, so I share them with those who come. But yeah, so I'm part of the Church of England. I'm an ordained minister in the Church of England and... um, the Church of England had a, an interesting and untidy kind of beginning, or but um, in 1555, the Church, having come through um, uh, the Protestant Reformation and wanting to incorporate some of those reforms in the Church, there was a pushback, and um, Archbishop Cranmer, who wrote the Book of Common Prayer, and then a couple of bishops, Bishop ridley and bishop latimer were um were tried for um well treason and uh and they were burnt at the stake at that point where the place where we we visited and so yeah 470 years ago um the founders the architects and cranmer wrote the book of common prayer that has been the liturgical and underpinning that the theological foundation for the the Church of England, Church in England. And um, he was burnt there because he loved the Lord and he was faithful Mm -hmm. to his word. And he was saying yes to what he believed God was saying, bringing the church back to the Bible and removing all those accretions that had built up. And um, Latimer said to Ridley, you know, Ridley was was anxious, uh, understandably as he was about to go to the stake. And uh, Adamus says, profound, you know, he said, play the man, Master Ridley, for this day we shall light such a fire that will never go out. And uh, that moves me, you know, that Mm -hmm. uh, I feel I feel these are these are the fathers of our faith, Um, not just Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but not just our. Uh, you know, the apostles and the prophet. But I, I feel that these men of God who laid down their life for the gospel, for the church in England, and, um, you know, shed their blood, you know, 200 yards from our church. Um, so I feel we, we we honor that, we respect that. And uh, we want to walk in the same spirit of faithfulness to God.
1: Mm. Thanks for sharing that. When we were in St. Aldates, I think it was Stephen Foster, the rector of the church. Um, I knew him through alpha days and he was sharing, he goes, he pointed the back door and he goes, he goes, you know, however many years ago George Whitfield's filled the Holy Spirit walked through that door. And he goes, in this room, he goes, J.I. Packer got saved in the evening college student service or whichever yeah. it was. And then yeah. just 30, you know, yards or meters that way you know, John Wesley and the Holy Club was meeting there. And those stories, like that just really, I mean, those are names that I'm part of those stories. They've impacted me. Packer was a professor at Regent College, which is 15 minutes from where I'm recording right now. And uh, just to think that he was a college kid or however old he was, came to the evening service. I host an evening service. I was like, who could walk in the door to the evening service and meet Jesus? It's just amazing stories.
0: Yeah, well, again, uh, it, we uh, I feel that. And we tell those stories because they're treasures and we want to treasure them. But, uh, yeah, J.I. Packer uh, came up to university from Gloucester and uh, about 60 miles up the road. And um, I think it was 47, 1947, but uh, in, in second or third week, he came to the evening service and um, we they had a service called the it was 815 because it had to be after college chapel and then college supper. So they put it on an 815. And it was interesting, about 20 years ago, maybe a bit less, we started a new service called 815. And at that time we hadn't read in in Packard saying he got converted at all dates at 815. So we were like, whoa, 815. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, he came and the, and the gospel was preached and he came, came to faith there. Um and George Whitfield came to faith and there's one account of, uh, of him running into St. Aldate's to worship. Um, and uh, he, easily, he was at the college that's about 15 feet away from our front door. And um, Pembroke College crossed the way. John and Charles Wesley were at Christchurch College. And then he became just up the road a chaplain at Lincoln. And so, yeah, the evangelical awakening in England that then fired and fueled the Edwards and the Great Awakening in North America, um, founded the Methodist movement. The Methodist movement becomes the holiness that influences Azusa and Pentecostalism. You know, some of these sparks just took off in Oxford, and Mm. um, we're waiting for him to do some more of that in our day, in our generation, in our church. We want more Packers to get saved and more Whitfields to run in and worship God. Mm. And uh, it doesn't have to be in our church, but we we want it to happen in our town and in our time.
1: When I was in the UK on this last trip and thinking about the Wesleyan renewal, the revival, and the state of the church at the beginning, just how bleak it was, it just gave me a lot of hope what God can do in a generation, yeah. you know what God can do through people and uh or through a move of His spirit as He empowers people, and also, as I think about church history, there is this sense by like at some point Christianity peaked and it's just been on decline ever since, but that's not actually the story. The story is waves of renewal, and this happens within generations what the stories we're talking about aren't ancient, you know we can follow the thread and i found in my heart as well simon when i was with you and the team there just praying god would you do something like that in canada amen you know like just and and just a longing to be part of a, a move of the spirit it's not a move of man's power yeah um that would give him a ton of glory and it's possible you know like he's done it before do it again
0: amen well i hear you and i and i'm with you on that 100% and um you know, I've been at St. All Day's 23 years and uh, I've been offered other jobs. I've gone for some other jobs and I'm still there. But some people say to me, You've been there a long time. Why are you still there? I said, I'm just waiting for revival because hmm. I kind of feel it could happen here. But, um, and I, I long for that to happen. And I, I don't just want to read books about revival, I want to be in one. Yeah. And uh, I've got faith for it. And, what history shows us is that revival happens when the church needs reviving. It doesn't happen when the church is in a period of great advance. Often it's when the church is on her back foot. And so we, we see this in the, um, you know, we see it in the early 18th century revival in the church in England. We see it in the uh, ninth, in the 1850s revival. We see it in Lower Stuff. We see it in, um, the Welsh revival, and, and it's often when the church is on the back foot. We see it in the great Chinese revival that happened after all the missionaries were kicked out. We see it that the revival that happened in Cambodia after all the Christians were kicked out and, and those who remained, most of whom, 90% of them were killed, and uh, Pol Pot. And uh, and often it's when the church is on a back foot that then God, you know, that she's desperate and just calling out to God, and God shows up. I, I, I'd, I'd love it if he showed up before then, but it often seems that it's when when we're in decline, when the pressure's on, when it seems that the world, the flesh, and the devil are taking a lot of ground, that then God rends the heaven and comes down, hmm. and the earth quakes at his presence. And um, I'm longing for that. And um, one of the things I, I I've... Observed reading the histories of revival is that almost always they are led by young people. They're led by people in their late teens and twenties and early thirties. So when the uh, evangelical awakening happens in England, the Wes- Wesleys and Whitfield are in their thir- they're in their twenties. Jonathan Edwards is thirty when the revival breaks out. Evan Roberts in the Welsh revival is early twenties. Mm. Um, and this can just be iterated out, you just see it time and time again, but often there's a, there's an older guy with a white beard hanging around <laughs> and just adding a little bit of fuel for the fire uh, so I'm excited and um, increasingly I'm looking and praying that God will uh, raise up that young generation of leaders um, and invariably young men and women who catch fire mm. and then go and set their culture, their community, their countries on fire. But I'm believing for it. God doesn't change. It's part of his modus in the past. And so I'm looking for it now. Yeah.
1: I love it. Simon, I'd love to hear more about your story. I know that you were a butcher. How did you make the move from butcher to vicar?
0: Hey, well, I was a butcher and I absolutely loved it. Uh, when I left school, uh, I did a couple of things, but I ended up in the meat trade, and I qualified as a master butcher quite young. So that meant I was earning good money, and um, I was a butcher. We worked, we worked at a We had a butcher shop and uh, slaughterhouse and farms, and it was a one in the country, wonderful way of life but uh i was always restless in that time and even though i actually liked the job i moved from being a butcher to being a buyer i used to supply about 100 butchers their their meat i'd buy from abattoirs import and that but meat trade was what i did and of course in the old testament the levites were all butchers so i think there was a sort of spiritual thing right at the start but uh I'm not a Christian. I'd grown up in a Christian family, but I was uh, about as far from God as you can be. But I had a praying father, and uh, he just didn't let up with heaven. Uh, I just think he was praying for me all the time. And um, through some very dark and difficult days, uh, in the the Lord kept sort of breaking in. I kept meeting Christians, and, but in the end, or not the beginning, if you like. I was in a car as a young adult and I was having a row with a friend of mine. And uh, he, he had a go at me and I either smacked him in the gob or I got out of the car. He was driving, so I said, stop the car, and got out. And I was stood outside a, a, ch- a church, an Anglican church. And my, I'd grown up in a, a very strict nonconformist church that said, um, you know, Rome was the Antichrist and the Church of England, her illegitimate spawn. But uh, so I'd never, never go near, never go near church, let alone a Church of England church. But uh, I heard music, heard singing, and um, I, was a, I was a big lad, a big, tough, long hair. You know? <laughs> Went into church, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, I couldn't believe. It. Look, first, it was full of people, and I didn't know church could get full. I thought it had to be like six, six old people. And you know, and and my dad, the remnant. So it was full, and then I saw that it was full of young people. That blew my mind. Why aren't they, you know, out getting lashed or and laid, as I thought was the thing? And uh, the third thing was the sense of God. Hmm. I just, I just knew it was God, and uh, you name it, I tried it. And I think in all of it, I was trying to find God. I was running from Him, but I was trying to find Him. And here He was in Holy Trinity Nailsey in an mm. Anglican church. And uh, anyway, I, they were worship; they were singing. I'd never seen or heard anything like it. And then suddenly, they all start singing in tongues. Hmm. Well, honestly, I, I'd smoked a lot of crazy stuff, but this was. Mind, this was (laughs) mind-blowing. And I left. I began to shake and cry. And I I was a a hard guy. And I just had to get out. But all week it stayed with me, this melody and this harmony and the beauty of it all, the singing. And I remembered from childhood that somehow a verse, though they speak in the voice of men and angels, but have not love, you know? And I thought this is angels, <laughs> angels in not the And I, I hadn't asked my dad a religious question in a decade or more, but I said, uh, I went and saw him and I said, where in the Bible does it talk about angels, voice of angels? He said, why? I said, I want to know. That's why. Anyway, he told me, and I'm, I'm, I found it, but I'm reading. Anyway, this went on all week. I'm thinking, and I'm being drawn, and I'm moved, and I'm troubled. And in the afternoon, I was hanging out with the with my lads, the lads. And I said, "They said you come at the pub tonight." I said, "I'm going to church." They said, "Yeah." I said, "No, I'm going to church." And uh, I put on my, you know, I wash. I think I washed my long hair and put on my best cowboy boots and best denim jacket, and I went to get saved. I just knew I was going to meet wow. God. Come on. Anyway. So I did. I went. The preacher preached, talked about the cross of Christ, the love of God, Him dying for our sins, forgiveness being freely available. You know, the full wallop. And uh, I just went to the front. Hmm. I just stood there, and uh, a couple of old guys came and prayed for me. And through the snot and the tears, I uh, I came to Christ and gave my life to Him, and that just turned my life around. Well, I'm a butcher. A few months later, we had a visit. I, I then, I'm all in. I'm at church, everything. And a few months later, we had a visiting kind of preacher. And he called out a word, like a word like a word of knowledge I know now. But then I thought, what is that? Someone, there's, a, there's someone here with a problem with X, Y, Z. And it was me. I had this problem. And I went and got prayed. And he put his hand on me and prayed. And I fell over. I mean, I'd never seen this, so I didn't. I couldn't fake it. Yeah, hit the deck, and I thought, and then just wave after wave of God's love, grace. I just felt getting washed clean, and I stood up. After about ten minutes, I I said, "Oh, thanks, man," (laughs) whatever you do. All wobbly. He said, uh, "God hadn't finished yet," and I fell over again. Bam. and then I felt like just fire go through me electricity coursing power and he started prophesying, again I'd never heard it I didn't know what that was but he started he said you're going to be a preacher hmm. and um, God's going to use you to tell us about Him." so I, I, that was in 86 and I often say I went down a butcher and got up a preacher and almost immediately you just couldn't shut me up i just had to i'm just telling everyone i'm consuming scripture i'm having to preach i used to take days off of work and literally um go in my uh, literally put it on like a little bookcase i had and pretend i was preaching to people i i was always writing sermons with no one to talk to Hmm. and uh Anyway, through a a, a whole set of further things, I left the meat trade. And then I got another job. I left left work and I just went to live by faith and um, preaching on the streets. Wow. So I was a street preacher for a year. And in that time, people, other church people would come by and say, do you want to come and talk at my church? Or I get invites to preach at a prison or this sort of thing. And then I was asked to plant a church. And I started a church in a pub. And then when there was no room at the inn, we moved into a school. And and then around that time I got married. And and then the church wrote me in and said, We need to make you official and sent me off to seminary. So wow.
1: It's beautiful, man. I'm so (laughs) thankful. I'm so that was thankful a very was.
0: concertina thing. I don't know if that was just a ramble.
1: I love it. I just, I'm just so thankful that God grabbed a hold of your life. I mean.
0: I am. I'm most thankful. Gosh.
1: It's just beautiful to hear. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. And um, I, I was curious if like academics and study was part of your life pre-meeting Jesus, because you're a really accomplished writer. Like your books have impacted a lot of people. Um you've covered a lot of ground, and some of them are are very comprehensive theologically nuanced works that take broad big themes and scriptures and make them accessible to people yeah. and so I'm just curious about even that journey
0: you know yeah well thank you for 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 saying that about them um i uh I dropped out of school i at, at, at sixteen and um I had what we call O levels, but like for, I just for, I, I passed four, which meant I failed five hmm. at the age of sixteen, the, the sort of halfway through high school. You know? <laughs> uh, and then, and uh, these these were just I, I I don't know the equivalent, but you, you study nine subjects, you know, yeah, and I passed four of them and so uh, i was a real failure of that stuff i just wasn't interested i just was interested in play and sport and and girls really and um but when i became a christian i just filled my mind i just was hungry to understand god mm. i i just wanted to know him and uh, every week when i was a butcher i used to get paid weekly and uh, with my money each week I'd go and buy a commentary and I'd read it for my quiet times at half two in the morning, you know, cause I start work sometimes five o'clock, four, five o'clock. I'd be up early just reading commentaries, reading them, get paid on a Thursday night, go and buy another commentary. <laughs> and just, you know, whoa! it just felt my mind was expanding. And, um, and then when you're teaching, you know, I, I didn't just want to repeat the same old stuff. So I wanted to have some ammo in my, in some content. So I, I, I just found I started reading hmm. and I wanted to know about the Lord, everything about him. And then I want to know about his world. And the, So reading a lot. Now, when it came to going to seminary, they said, um, you know, normally to go, you, you go and study a degree, but to study a degree, you've got to have a high school Qualifications we call them A levels. You've got to have A levels, and before that, you've got to have nine O levels. And I, I, I was just, but uh they let me in because I'd planted a church already. So they kind of, and I taught at the seminary on church planting. So they kind of let me have a go. <laughs> in fact, it was the seminary that Jim Packer was a professor at in England mm. before we went to Canada. But um not that he was there then, and. Um, I just loved it. Mm. I loved learning. I felt what a privilege. What a privilege that I'm getting, uh, you know, as it were, funded to study about God. I mean, what a thing. And uh, I I gave it my best shot. I didn't know how I was doing, but at the end of the sort of uh, first set of exams, I was sort of doing well. Mm. And um, then at the end of the next year's exams, I was like coming out, you know, really well. And I was being encouraged to go on and do a doctorate and stuff like that. And um, so I got got my the degree, and then instead of getting ordained straight away, they said you need to get ordained. You need another. We want you to do academics. And it was so funny because I thought, you know, if you I've got some good degrees and I've got four four O levels. Um. And I just say four before Christ and degrees after Christ. And there's <laughs> nothing in between. You know, there's not the usual steps. I think it is a grace, a sign of grace. Mm. Mm. But uh, all the while, so I love the study. I love theology. I love I love thinking about God, teaching about God, helping, introducing others to him. And the books were really a kind of byproduct mm of teaching. Uh, and the teaching was joined with my learning of, about the Lord. Um, so I never I never set out to write books. I was asked a few times when I was a university chaplain by publishers, I said, I don't want to write a book. Of the making of many books, there is no end and so on. But in the end, the Lord, um, the Lord kind of led me to write this little book called More, Hmm. And then um, I was. Then that opened up all sorts of opportunities and then I just felt this sort of de- desire and encouragement and so I tried writing a book every year or two after that. Hmm. And each year I'd set myself a theme and I'd just give a year, I'd give like a year to the theme and then try and write a book on it.
1: Hmm. I'd love to chat about a few of them. Um, there's one that you've written Called amazed, and it's about this question: Am I still amazed by Jesus? Yeah. Like, is, is there still awe and wonder? Yeah. And I, I think I really like that question. It's a convicting question. I think it's a a good pastor's question. Yeah. Um, we get up and try to, I think it's fair to say, awe like give people awe and wonder, like proclaim Jesus, and then yeah. we go home and we I ask myself the question: yeah. Do I have that awe and wonder? Can you tell me a bit about? that piece and and, and sure. not just the book but what that means to you because it came out of, of a personal yeah. place for you
0: yeah it really did i had um you know i'd been on the road for quite a while um doing hundreds of conferences and i was really burnt out on it and um uh this was pre-covid a year before covid so probably three years ago i was just feeling burnt out weary and and spent and um i felt i'd got to a stage somehow where i was just being a professional christian and i was doing it because i was asked to do it i was meant to do it i couldn't do anything else but the the, the flame the fire the passion um had gone and uh, you know i think in ministry we can all go through seasons like that but that's where i was at and um I went to Michael Green's funeral. You said you you knew of Michael or knew Michael. He was a great leader in mission and in renewal. He was a tutor at Regent for years. He was our, our vicar, and he'd been a mentor of mine. And I went to his funeral, and I think he was 91, I think. He'd written about 70 books he was a man on fire and, I, hmm. and I'm at this funeral thinking about this man and uh, hearing the testimonies and I thought this man was ablaze till the end I mean he was all fire you know and um, I thought here am I middle-aged and I'm 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 just not something's hmm. gone wrong and um That was like on the, that was say on the Wednesday, on the Thursday, I'm working on a sermon for Sunday and I've got a text and I'm reading through the gospel passage and it just said, and you know, they were amazed at Jesus. And I I sat there and I'm in the coffee shop and and I thought, am I amazed at Jesus? And uh, I thought, I'm not, I I have, I was, but somehow I, The the flame is is flickering, and um, I don't know whether I was praying or just, you know, just. But I just, I was just aware of the presence of the Lord, and uh, I wrote a. I just began writing a list of all the things I should be amazed by. I think I wrote a couple hundred of them. You know, his power, his love, his faithfulness, all his predicates, all his actions. And it just it just sort of meditating on the truth and the reality of that—it just it just caused something to come alive again. So uh, I preached that on the Sunday, and then I started preaching a bit more around Jesus. I, I, let's get back to Jesus because <laughs> sometimes we can travel a long way from the Gospels. We can be—and ha- all scriptures inspired and God breathed—and uh, but sometimes we can be so bogged down in the nitty-gritty of you know. An epistle and, and, uh, or church life, church politics, whatever it is, that we can lose the main in the plane. And Jesus is no longer center stage. He's not front and center. He, and, uh, he just, I just, he just pushed himself back front and center. Hmm. And so that book was really, it was really, uh, uh, me it was a devotional thing for me to rekindle my first love. Mm. Um, I, some of the material, much of the material I'd used, but I was reworking it. And the week leading up to the week of the week of Easter, Easter week, I went away for a week and I sat and I got up very early every morning. And I wrote that book that week, early in the morning at like mm. five in the morning of Easter week. And, um, you know, finished Easter day. Hmm. So, and I, I just felt I was, I was wanting to journey through Easter with the Lord. And uh, anyway, yeah. that's why I wrote it. Beautiful. We, we too often lose our amazement with him. Yeah. Ministers, we we lose it. Mm-hmm. Ministry can knock the Lord out of our lives somehow.
1: It's a tragic part of it for me. It's because- tragic.
0: And the end the world, the flesh and the devil conspire to do it. And uh you know, if 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 the world, the flesh, and the devil can have us ministering without the Lord, that's what they want. Then we got nothing to minister but ourselves, and then that leads to burnout or blowout. We need the Lord. Yeah.
1: Before we started recording, you and I chatted a bit about the themes of the fear of God and holiness and um in a generation before me, those were popular themes. In my generation, much less so. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if you would just take us into those themes a little bit.
0: Yeah. I, well, I wrote I a couple of books on on holiness. Um, I uh, it was at a season in my own life, maybe fifteen years ago. I was. Well, I, I'd been thinking a lot about renewal and revival and pushing into that and more of the spirit. And uh, essentially that the Lord did a kind of flip on me and said, um, you want more of me and I want more of you. And if you want more of me, it's not just have more of my power, it's to have more of my character. Wow. And, uh, you know, you're pushing after the gifts, but I, I'd like you to have the character and uh so i began thinking and and working on that um and teaching around that on on holiness and and uh in particular the the, the verse that's repeated i think half a dozen times, be holy as i am holy and i thought gosh and uh you know i mean that's so hardcore <laughs> And is it even possible? But you know, you say it. Be perfect, as you have any Father is perfect. The Lord says. So I thought. Well, what does that look like? And how do how do I get there? And um, so I worked hard on it. Of course, any study on on, on holiness it just sh- exposes one's own weakness yeah. and sinfulness and fracture and failure. So it was it was a tough time, but um, and. Uh, I, I can only say I, I feel less holy than when I started thinking about holiness. I just, it just showed up what I'm not, which kind of magnified God's goodness in his faithfulness. But that became a really important thing for me. Uh, and uh, I think it, the church has lost it. Um, it. If we love the Lord, we wanna look like the Lord. We wanna be with the Lord. We wanna imitate him. We wanna obey him. And the word holiness sounds like a dirty word, sounds like a heavy word, a power play, a religious word. But I think uh, in the end, it's about being like him so we can be closer to him. Hmm. And um, it's grace all the way anyway, <laughs> You know, he, he enables us. So yeah, and then fear of the Lord came along again. I was reflecting on the spirit on jesus and um the messianic prophecy in the spirit of wisdom and understanding counsel and my knowledge in the fear of the lord and his delight will be in the fear of the lord and i thought how can it be that the fear of the lord is associated with the anointing of the spirit now in one Mm -hmm. sense it's kind of obvious because if the anointing of the spirit is present that spirit will reveal more of the Lord to us, and we will be in awe. So it, it, in one sense, it was obvious, but the fear of the Lord became a renewed theme. And um, I got a friend, a Canadian friend called Guy Chevreau and it, uh, he told me once he was preaching to a 1,000 pastors, and he said, um, how many of you, he said, stand up or put your hands up if you minister from the fear of man. And he said, 900 of the thousand put their hands up and stood up.
1: Yeah, 900. my hands would be up.
0: And I thought, yeah, I would probably be one of those. Um, but it's the fear of the Lord that replaces the fear of man. And I think I've had the fear of man for a long time on and off and um, competitiveness. and And in the end, the fear of the Lord, you know, the fear of the Lord is the delight in the Lord. And uh, yeah, and it's not being afraid of the Lord. It's enjoying him. It's appreciating him. It's uh, just being in awe of his goodness and his love. And I'd like more of that in my life. And I think it's a key for revival. Whether or not the fear of the Lord comes through revival or whether the fear of the Lord leads to revival, I'm still thinking about. But meanwhile, I, I got to pursue the fear of the Lord. And uh, I think many of us, yeah, many of us live with the fear of man. Mm-hmm. We do our ministry from what others think, not what God thinks. It says of the, the Levites in the Old Testament that they they're, they, they they're set before the Lord, they stand before the Lord. And um, says that of Elijah too, you know, stands before the Lord, and and therefore standing before the Lord, he's able to minister without fear, because it's the Lord. Is this? Uh, and I think so often we are not standing before the Lord, we're not fearing the Lord, and therefore we're not hearing from Him, we're not ministering from Him. We're we're just led by those that we're ministering to, or by our own ego, or our own fracture, or by you know, what we're seeing others doing, but we need to come from that place, the fear of the Lord, being in the presence of the Lord. We need more of that in the church. We need more of the Lord in the church, I think. Amen. I've set the Lord always before me, the psalmist says, you know, but I think we got all sorts of other things set before us, five-year plans, deadlines, emails, video, the screams, the sermon prep. I've set the Lord always before me. One in him is to honor him. Easy for him to get pushed aside. Yeah.
1: One of the things, like I love this format of podcast because you're in England, I'm here in Vancouver and listeners across Canada, it's, it's a real gift of technology. But one of the things that makes me a bit sad is if we were all together, if you and I were side by side and whoever's listening was all around us in the room, I would probably at this point say, well, should we pray? Should we wait on the spirit and pray? And I don't know what that looks like best in this format, but I wonder if before we just wrap up the conversation, Simon, if you would pray for me and my friends who are listening, pastors in it for a long time, some in a short time and scatter all across Canada, if you'd pray for us um, into some of the things we talked about and and whatever is on your heart. just want to receive that.
0: Well, Lord, we bless you. We bless you, Lord. Yeah. We thank you, Lord, that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and you brought us home. we thank you, Lord, that in your death we have life. We thank you that you loved us so much, that you gave your only son that we who believe in you wouldn't perish but have eternal life. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, that you condescend to dwell in us. We bless you, Lord, that you call us to serve you. What a privilege, Lord, as David says, who am I and what is my family that you have brought me this far? So we bless you, Lord. And Lord, we want to we want to be the best we can be for you. We want to be the best men and women. We want to be the best yeah. husbands and wives, the best parents. We want to be the best friends. We want to be the best we can be for you. We don't want to squander your death for us, we don't want to squander Lord, your spirit shed abroad in us, we want to be the best we can be and we thank you that you pour out your love on us and you give us your spirit to transform us and you give us your word to direct us and you give us your sacraments to nourish us and give us your church for us to belong in the community and we bless you Lord we pray you help us Lord to be faithful to you Thank you yeah. that even when we're not your faithful, you can't deny yourself. But help us to be faithful to you. Lord, I pray for those who pastors who are listening who are just all beaten up and that they're hurting on the inside because it's a mess on the outside. Or maybe it just looks really good on the outside. They're still hurting on the inside. Lord, I bless them. I pray that you would restore them. Pray you'd encourage them. I pray for your to heal them and soothe their wounds, Lord. I pray that you'd renew their affections for you and renew their sense of your affection for them. I pray for those, Lord, who've got decisions to make, that you would speak clearly, Lord, and quickly, so they'd know what to do, when to do it, how to do it, where to go. I pray, Lord, for those who are listening. I pray for their church community. I pray for their families, that you'll bless them and encourage them. Yeah. I pray for their health. I pray for their rest. I pray for, th- for their minds. But I pray for their time with you. Help them re- to set aside time for a lover's tryst with you. I pray your word would come alive. I pray your spirit would Overwhelm them. I pray that just be rekindled in their love for you, Lord, and their love for yours, and their love for the lost. I pray for those who just struggling, knowing what to do. I pray you download to them, Lord, vision. Mm-hmm. Your word says that you give young men visions. Give the young men visions, Lord. I'm an old man, I could do with a dream, but give visions to the young men and the young women. We pray they'll just hear from you and declare your word. We pray that in their communities there would be a hunger for you. We've talked about revival. We pray your spirit would come down on their churches, on their communities, and you'd do an amazing thing. We pray for wildfires just to break out. Yeah. I pray, Lord, that they would return to their first love. I pray you'd baptize them afresh in your spirit. Pray that Your Word would come alive to them. I pray You'd give them joy in serving You, and I pray You'd give them friends to walk in and journey in ministry. And so we bless You, Lord. We honor You, and Lord, Your Word says, "No eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind can see what God has prepared for those who love Him." But You've revealed it by your spirit. Well, Lord, reveal it some more when you please. Reveal it and encourage your church leaders. We bless them and we bless you. Amen.
1: Well, I want to say a huge thank you again to Simon for making time to chat with us. I love that conversation and I just I'm so wanting to become a person like Simon as I get older, tender, in love with Jesus, compassionate, thoughtful. He's an amazing guy. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Hey, if you wanna find out more about his work, you can hear tons of his sermons on YouTube and you can find links to all of the books that he's written in the show notes and the show description. And hey a quick reminder we're now accepting applications for another round of the church leaders incubator this is an 18-month program for senior pastors in canada it's capped at about 15 people it's a learning community with lots of peer learning but also special trips like going to the uk that's where we met simon and retreats here in canada and the goal is to deepen our character work together to think about how to become more effective in our craft as pastors and leaders and to link arms over this period of time. So if you're interested in finding out more or signing up, you can find out more information at ccln.ca slash incubator. And before we go, as promised, I want to set up this conversation we had with Mike Peninga from Compassion. It's a great conversation and a great organization. would love for you to get connected with them. So check out this conversation we had.
2: Hey there, friends. My name is Mike Penninga, and I serve as the Director of Partnership Development at Compassion Canada. We just couldn't be more excited to support the great work of the Canadian Church Leaders Network, both through this podcast and through the Pastor Incubator Program. We love it. As a former pastor for 18 years at two churches here where I live in Kelowna, BC, I can tell you from firsthand experience that compassion loves the local church. In fact, we do our work of child poverty alleviation exclusively through the 8,200 frontline church partners in the 27 countries that we work in around the world. But what the good news is, is it's not just the overseas churches that we care about. We have hundreds and hundreds of church partners in Canada. And I wanted to help you hear the story of one of those partners today center street church in calgary alberta and a new friend of mine pastor brad Friesen. brad has served at center street church for nine years and he is currently the pastor overseeing global ministries i love that title it's the work that goes on outside of the walls and the local church community brad thank you for what you do for the impact that you and your church are able to have i'd love to know from your perspective brad why has compassion become such an important partner for Center Street Church as you seek to be a kingdom-impacting congregation. Thanks, Mike, for letting me share. I'm grateful for
3: this opportunity to share with my family across our nation. Um, You know, when it came to uh, time for us to make a decision about compassion and whether or not we could uh, work well with, with compassion or if there was some other agency, some other group, There's so many different options that you can help with. There's little orphanages here and and big ones over there and and all of that. And and so many of them are good, and you can develop good relationships knowing people here and there. But what we found with Compassion was, Compassion was willing to take a risk on really, really diving uh, diving deeply into discipleship as opposed to just poverty alleviation. And I say that carefully, that poverty alleviation is really, really important but we wanted to have our impact really be into that discipleship realm. We can do so much through so many different agencies and partners and global workers, but with compassion, we got to focus on discipleship within the local church. We got to help actually establish the local church beyond ourselves. And so that was one of the reasons we really wanted to invest in compassion. And I'll tell you, since we did it, we have never looked back. We've never thought twice uh, we've sent t- trips. I've been able to go and visit uh, my own sponsored children, but then n- not only visit my sponsored children, but actually sit in their church, meet their pastor, see the programs that are going on, see the discipleship, maybe meet even some of the people that help lead and worship, you know, those counterparts that we have. That changed everything for me and for our congregation when we realized this is a church, not just an organization
2: of some sort. Brad, can you just be extremely practical? Like, how are how does Center Street Calgary, how does Center Street Alberta partner with Compassion? What are some of the things that you guys do?
3: You know, the first thing that we did was we had a Compassion Weekend when we kind of launched the partnership. And so Compassion was very kind. They sent some of their best people that they had available. We got to see some singers and some other people that were able to uh, share their heart. And so actually having the Compassion Weekend was absolutely crucial to us launching this partnership. Uh, because we wanted to do it well, uh, so we thought about it a long time. I know it. Some sometimes it just takes a long time to make a decision, but when we did it, we executed it pretty well. So praise God for that. But having that compassion weekend, uh, that's crucial. And then you know that births the sponsorships. What we want to do, and what we've tried to do as a church, is then follow up not only with uh, compassion, how those sponsorships are going, but we regularly put those those words back into the hearts and minds and ears of our congregation who have sponsored. And so, we've done that not only verbally from our pulpit, through newsletters, but we've actually been doing regular trips as well with Compassion to go and visit those sponsored children. Um, And that's been awesome. Now, we haven't done that during COVID, but I have people waiting at my office. So, when you guys are ready, let me know. But uh, having them actually go meet, have a day at the water park, it's phenomenal. Now, here's the one strategic thing that Compassion never really said to us, we tried and Compassion actually worked with us. And so I'm grateful for this. We've got other partnered churches, specifically in Mexico, where we're partnering with Compassion as well. And so we've made these partnerships in Mexico, where we've actually been able to work together with Compassion and these other churches, so that they've been able to actually serve each other. So for example, we've been able to help sponsor some pastoral training through Compassion, And they've actually invited the other pastors from the churches to come and share time with. Then they're networking down in Mexico. They're seeing what God can do as they gather gather together. So we just took that initiative. And what we loved about Compassion was they're willing to work with whoever to get the job done. And we just happened to have church partners down there. So it was really, really strategic partnership for us uh, that made a lot of sense. It's awesome.
2: Brad, uh, it is amazing to hear those words from you, to see that true partnership. And we're talking to pastors across the country right now, and we're using this phrase this year, if only you knew. It's actually a national campaign. If only you knew uh, the impact of sponsorship, the impact of your partnership. You're talking to pastors right now through the Canadian Church Leaders Network. How would you answer that question, if only you knew? When it came to how a church could partner and be on global missions in alignment with Compassion's work,
3: I think if only you knew what impact one of those weekends can do. Uh, it can change the ethos because you start hearing the stories, and if you're one of those blessed ones, you get to maybe have a, a Compassion sponsored child that has graduated from the program and and done something amazing. If only you knew the impact that those students, those those kids that were once sponsored that are now leaders within their nations, within their, their worlds, man, if only you knew what that
2: would do, it changes everything. Brad, this is a special story just for you and our audience today. And it happened yesterday. It's Monday Mm. that we're filming this. It was Sunday in Ottawa and we had a guy come up to one of our compassion Sunday booths and he goes, I was a compassion beneficiary kid in Haiti. I now live in Canada and I'm an engineer and I want to begin giving back and I want to sponsor. And that happened yesterday in Ottawa. And so I just want to say to pastors um, across the country, um, thank you for your partnerships. Thank you for your interest. Thank you for coming alongside us. Brad and Center Street Church, you guys are accomplishing so much from a kingdom perspective. Uh, indeed, we have 1,200 church partners in Canada and growing. So if you're listening to this, if you're part of the CCLN network, if you want to find out how you can start, go to compassion.ca, send an email to church at compassion.ca, and we can get your church started. We can have conversations with you about how you can be a part of this global kingdom work that indeed um, is really releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Center Street Church. Thank you, CCLN. We're cheering and praying for you in this new chapter.